0: Happy Easter. Easter. Hebrews 10, verse one. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. The worshipers would have been purified once and for all, and their feelings of guilt and shame would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sin year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That is why Christ came into the world. He said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in scripture. First, Christ said, I do not want animals, sacrifices, sin offerings, or other burnt offerings and other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased through them, though they were required by the law of Moses. And then he said, look, Lord, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was to make us holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come here today to celebrate the gift that you gave to mankind when you sent your son to earth. You sent Jesus knowing that he would suffer and die, paying the price for our sin. Father, we stand here in awe of the sacrifice. We stand in awe of the sanctification and the justification that we've received. You brought us from death to life, and Lord, we rejoice that the death, that death could not hold you, Jesus, that the grave could not hold you, that you rose again, and that because you rose again, to life, we know that we can rise to new life and that we're given eternal life through the resurrection. Father, we're just so thankful. Speak to us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Merry Christmas! I know it seems that I maybe have a misplaced a holiday again, um, but I was thinking about the word Christmas and more specifically the word mas. Um The word Christ, of course, is, is synonymous with Messiah, the anointed one, more specifically the anointed one of David, the one that the, the Jews had been waiting for. The second part, Mass, is from the Latin word missa, which is what the Catholic Church calls mass. Um, and what we we call communion, the remembrance of the work of the cross, partaking in the Lord's Supper. In a traditional mass that would have taken place in the time that, um, that the word Christmas started, um, it would end, and maybe it still ends this way, but it would end with the sending of the faithful back out into the world with the gospel message. So in the Easter season, we we're experiencing kind of an extended mass. On Friday, we remember the crucifixion of Christ, And perhaps on Sunday you thought about how Jesus' body lay in the tomb. Can you imagine how the disciples must have felt? The one they loved that they devoted their life to was dead. They'd given up their livelihoods to follow him. They'd lost friends and family to follow him. And he had changed their lives. He'd experienced, uh, they had experienced a taste of the kingdom of God on earth. They were there when he fed the 5,000, when he healed the lame and made the blind to see again. He felt the power of God when he taught them the scriptures to them, their hearts burning in their chest as the Son of God spoke the word of truth to them. But now it seemed it was over. What happened, they asked themselves. Is this truly the end?
1: In Mark 15, 15, 43, it tells us that evening approached and Joseph of Arimathea asked for Jesus' body. Evening indicates that there wasn't much time before the Sabbath started, which was at sundown. Joseph was in a hurry to prepare Jesus' body. He was running out of time before dark, and he took a risk. You see, in Luke 23.50, it states that Joseph was a member of the Jewish High Council, but he did not agree with the religious leaders. So he was in a hurry, but he was acting secretively. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all recount that Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped the body in strips of cloth, and laid him in a new tomb carved from a new rock. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome were there. The Gospel of Mark refers to these women as followers of Jesus that were with him in Galilee. Now Salome, she was the wife of Zebedee, and she was the mother of James and John, the disciples. She was either very bold, or she knew Jesus very well, because she made a request to Jesus. She requested that her two sons, Sit at a spot higher than anyone else in heaven. That's pretty bold. And then there was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, um, in Luke 2, it says she was cured of evil spirits and diseases by Jesus. In verse 3, it says she contributed her own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Mary Magdalene had seen the power of Jesus And she loved him and she believed in what he taught. When I think about how the women cared for Jesus and his disciples, I think about being a mom. You're running around, you're planning meals, you're gathering food, uh, you're preparing meals, you're washing clothes and folding clothes and putting away clothes, you're cleaning the house, you're picking up the house. You're listening to important details of what your family has to say. And you're helping with endless tasks. I imagine that some of these tasks were the same for the women who followed Jesus. My load is obviously a lot lighter because I have a machine to help me and I have family who helps. But these women did not stop caring for Jesus just because he died. Now back to the tomb where Joseph laid Jesus' body. Mark 15, 47 says that Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Joseph, were there when Jesus was laid in the tomb. It goes on to say that Saturday evening, when the Sabbath had ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, went and purchased burial spices that that they would anoint Jesus' body with. In Luke 23, it records it that the women went home and prepared the spices. What's so significant about the spices? The main reason a debt was that a dead body was anointed by spices was to stop the smell of decomposition. John 11:39 gives us insight into this at Lazarus's tomb. Jesus says, "Roll the stone aside." And Martha protests, "But Lord, he's been dead for 4 days. The smell will be terrible." The spices the women brought to Jesus's tomb were intended to eliminate odor. And to honor the body of Christ the women loved Jesus so much that they followed him from Galilee they watched his crucifixion they continue watching as Jesus took as Joseph took Jesus down from the cross and they went to the tomb where Joseph laid Jesus' body and then they went home to prepare the spices Mary Magdalene and the other women had prepared the spices they had spent a lot of time together, possibly mourning or grieving, possibly they were talking together, as women are prone to do, you know, especially if something tragic has happened. They had probably prepared their hearts and their minds to the, enter the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. And Mark 16, too, tells us that early on Sunday morning, was it 4 a.m.? Was it 5 a.m.? Was it 6 a.m.? I don't know, but I know that's way too early for me. Mm -hmm. This is when the women went to the tomb. Yet along the way, were they figuring out the last minute details? Were they wondering, who's gonna roll that heavy stone away from the tomb entrance? But when they arrived there, there was a great earthquake. The ground shook underneath them. Maybe they fell down. The stone rolled away from the tomb, and there sat an angel whose face shone like lightning and whose clothes were as white as snow. The guards shook with fear, and they fainted. I don't know about you ladies, but early morning, grieving Jesus' loss, combined with an earthquake, shining angels, fainting guards, that would have been enough to make me fall into tears and trembling. But the angel was there to reassure the women. Matthew 28, 5 says, Do not be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen from the dead. Come and see where his body is lying, And then go quickly and tell the disciples he has risen from the dead. So the women had seen the empty tomb. They had seen the burial cloth and they had heard the message of the angels. They ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but yet they were filled with joy that could only have come from God. As they were rushing to the disciples, were they wondering, will they believe me? Will they understand what happened? And maybe, just maybe, they were hoping that the disciples could give them insight into what they had just experienced. But before they could get there, Matthew 28, 9 says says that they met Jesus and he greeted them. The women ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. The women were probably relieved to see Jesus, to know that the angel's story was true. They had been so overwhelmed with joy in seeing Jesus that they fell down at his feet and worship. And now they had proof. Jesus was alive and well. Hallelujah. Luke 24, nine
0: through 12 says, so they rushed back from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, and they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Now, I have to be a little careful here, but speaking from experience, this sounds a little bit like conversations I've had with my wife. (laughs) There'll be some sort of a problem, and I can tell that it needs some sort of immediate action. But, The messages were laid with a lot of extra details, and I get so anxious waiting to find out what it is that I'm supposed to do that sometimes I just figure, you know what, I'm just gonna run to where the problem is and I'll figure it out when I get there. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with the way that women communicate. I'm not saying that, okay. There's definitely times when I could learn a lot from my wife to improve the way that I communicate with others. But this story definitely rings true to how I would imagine this interaction going. So the women told the men what they had seen. In fact, they told them what Jesus had said was going to happen. Now, I don't know if it was because the women were so in so much shock and excitement, or if they were just plain overwhelmed that they couldn't convey the message clearly. Or maybe it was because the men were so stuck in their own despair or trying to figure out how they could fix this. Right, men? That's, that's what we do when we have a problem. We try and fix it or at least kind of rationalize it and figure out what is the, how can we, how can we make sense of it? How can we make it all make sense? And you have to remember, of course, they're doing this in the midst of the most intense grief and mourning that they've ever experienced. So while they're not quite understanding what is being told to them, Peter and John both run to the tomb to try and figure out what's going on. The whole way there, they're thinking about the bits and pieces of the story that they heard from the women. Soldiers on the ground, man shining like lightning, ground shook, tomb empty. Stolen, body stolen. Oh, no, I saw Jesus, he was alive. They, um, the excitement of angels, all these things are racing through their mind and it overshadows, overshadows any thought of a normal traveling together. In fact, it appears that Peter just hopped up and took off um, without anybody. And then John sees him go and he decides to go as well and he runs right past Peter on the way there. This was no casual happening. This was chaotic, this was overwhelming, and they needed answers. When they got there, the incredible, confusing, and unbelievable story that they heard from the women all made sense, and they believed. They believed. Do you understand what a thing this was to all of a sudden believe? John 20, verse 9 says, For until then they hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they believed. They believed that he had risen. The last three days of their heads spinning and trying to figure out how their experiences with Jesus, their surety of who he was, and the confidence that he could not be defeated. How could that all be reconciled with the fact that he, they saw him crucified, they saw him buried? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Sleep deprived, emotionally and mentally exhausted, and now physically exhausted from sprinting to the tomb, and now everything that they'd been stressing about was completely flipped on its head. Jesus is alive. He's alive. Football fans, imagine this. It's third quarter, it's 31 to nothing. You go into the fourth and the impossible happens. Your, your lead is completely erased. The other team takes the lead. It is now the last play of the game, which is just gonna be a spike to wind down, run out the clock. But somehow, some way, the ball is fumbled. Your team picks up the ball and runs it all the way down the field for a game-winning touchdown. What the disciples are experiencing here makes that seem boring. <laughs> Do you get this? This Jesus, this is the promised Messiah. They were waiting for him for thousands of years. They've been waiting for somebody to come and bring justice to the nation, to, to, to bring freedom to the people of God, to the children of God. And then he finally comes and he's killed game over, right? But no, but then he's alive and alive forevermore. And now that he's alive, they know that death couldn't stop him, nothing can stop him. I have seen stadiums of people erupt over one great football play. And I know that we can't live in a constant state of uncontrollable celebration. But even years after being part of or seeing an incredible play, you can still hear the excitement of the teller in the teller's voice when he recites that story of that experience, even if he's maybe told the story a dozen times before. The resurrection story, this story, is the story above all stories. It's the story of stories. This resurrection story is what caused the Christian faith to sweep across the Roman Empire. It was those who had experienced the power of the resurrection recounting it with passion everywhere that they went. That's what caused Christianity to spread. It was the new life in these people presented, presenting the resurrection from a life that has experienced the power of it. And today, that torch is in our hands. The resurrection of Jesus was the world's greatest come from behind victory at least from the spectator's perspective. you know Jesus knew before he even came to earth what the final score would be. But to the people living through it, no other even comes close. Not close as far as the chance of a turnaround and not close as far as the importance of the victory. In any other competition, if your player is dead, that's it, that's final, but not with Jesus. And what of the importance of this victory? To understand the importance of the victory, we first have to understand why the battle needed to be waged in the first place. Reason one, we are very familiar with. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death and that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short. There is none righteous, no, not one. We all know that this is true. Even if somebody believes that they're a very good person, they'll admit that they're not perfect. And of course, that's where the problem lies. God is just, and a just God cannot overlook sin. And like I said, the wages of sin, the penalty of sin, is death. So at this point, we are in need of a savior. But why does that matter to the God of the universe? I can walk by a spider's web and see a fly stuck in it, and I know that fly needs to be saved, but I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. But praise God, he cares for us. You see, we're not just another part of God's creation. We're not just a fly. The Bible says that he sees a sparrow when it falls, but he doesn't save it. But from the very beginning, we were created different. Genesis one twenty six says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image. To be like us, they will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. If you pay special attention to verse 26, God refers to himself as us. We know that God is a triune God. He's the Father, Son and holy Spirit. And He created man in His image, giving us three parts, making us separate from the rest of creation. The Bible tells us in First Thessalonians 5:23 that we are all created with a spirit, soul and a body. It says, "And the God of peace himself sanctify and the God of peace." himself sanctify you wholly and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the lord jesus christ we have an eternal component to us we are not just flesh and second what makes humankind unlike creation is the bible says that when he made man He breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and he became a living person. It was the very breath of God that gave us life. From the very beginning, we were special to God and we were created by him to be recipients of his love and then to respond to that love with worship and admiration. God created us to have an eternal relationship with him. And guess what? God doesn't change his mind. God so loved us that he demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The worship team, could you come? He paid the penalty for our sin and we were made right with God. Uh, There was an evangelist, or there is an evangelist. His name is Ray Comfort, and maybe you've heard of him. I watch him from time to time online. Um, He loves to give the analogy of the just judge and the wages of sin as fines. He says that God can't be a just judge if he lets criminals go free without paying the penalty for their crime. He wouldn't be a good judge. He wouldn't be a good God if he did that. But if someone were to pay the fine for them, then the law would be satisfied and he could justly set you free. Jesus' payment on the cross satisfies the law of God, the righteous judge, and sets us free because it doesn't, and sets us free, but it doesn't end on the cross. Because he rose again to new life, we are also able to have new life. Because he made us clean from our sin, the Holy Spirit can reside in us. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, marked by him as children of the living God for all of eternity. Romans 8.10 says, and Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit gives you life the spirit of god who raised jesus from the dead lives in you and just as god raised jesus from the dead he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you you see if jesus by the power of the holy spirit was raised from the dead having been sealed with the holy spirit he was overt he was he was able to overcome death We know that having been sealed with that same spirit, we have eternal life through Christ Jesus. This is the good news. But there is one more detail. I don't want to mislead anybody. Everyone is not automatically saved. You see, in Romans 10.9 it says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus desires that all will be saved. But the resurrection isn't a light switch. It's more like an electrical outlet. Salvation is available, but you have to choose to plug into it. You must believe. The word believe means to put your trust in. Now another example that Ray Comfort likes to use is he gives a story of two men or two people, two passengers on an airplane. The first one he gives he, he comes up to and he says, Hey, here's a parachute. You know, it's gonna make your life your your flight a lot more enjoyable. You know, why don't you try it on? The passenger thinks about it a little bit and he thinks, I don't know, it doesn't I don't see how that would really do anything for me, but the person telling me seemed pretty confident in it, so I'll give it a try. And he puts it on and he feels a little weird. He sits down in his seat and he can't sit the way he used to be able to sit. And then as he begins to look around at other passengers, he starts to notice that they're kind of looking at him strange and and laughing a little bit. And he's like, I'm not gonna do this anymore. He takes this thing off and he throws it down. Now there's a second passenger. And that passenger, it was explained to him that the plane is going to go down. We're having engine failure. Here's a parachute. You're going to have to jump at some point here. Now that passenger takes that parachute and he puts it on joyfully. He isn't concerned that he can't sit the way he used to sit. He's not concerned that other people are looking at him strange or jeering. Uh, In fact, he just wishes that they all had a parachute too. salvation we need to recognize our need our plane is crashing and furthermore it's our fault (laughs) we need to put our trust in Jesus in recognizing our need we are admitting that we admitting to having sin in our lives and in believing in Jesus we are trusting him to guide us out of that life that leads to death It wouldn't make much sense for us to recognize this sinful life that has led to the death penalty and then to just keep on sinning. Jesus' death and resurrection provides us the freedom to walk away from the path of death and into eternal life. This is the gospel message, the good news that Jesus had paid the price and won the victory for all, for all time. Have you experienced it? Are you filled with a passion and excitement? The passion and excitement that when you recount the power of the resurrection in your own life that comes across to people, like the retelling of that football story. You remember the excitement when do you Are you so filled with the remembrance and the understanding of what that resurrection power, what that life of Jesus given to you freely, how it took you from death and brought you to life, how that changed everything? That when others hear it, that they want it. May we today be woken up to the power of the resurrection in our life and remember it and recount it as we go out into the world. As I mentioned in the beginning, Easter is like an extended mass. Friday, we remember the cross. Saturday, we remember the tomb. But today is Sunday, and today we celebrate that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. (laughs) Lord, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you that you didn't just come and uh, give us freedom in this life. You didn't come uh, to give us any sort of temporary relief. You didn't come and then leave us and, and just die and, and be gone. <laughs> Lord, you came and you rose again. Lord, we thank you that you created us in the beginning to have a relationship with you and that you loved us so much that you still want that relationship with us. We thank you that when we run to you, when we put our trust in you, when we repent of our sins and turn to you, Lord, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, Lord, and that you call us children of God. And in the spirit of Christmas, I would like to send out the faithful with the good news Hebrews 10, 14 says, but how can they call on him to be saved unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him unless they have heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone tell them without being sent? And then that is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Go and tell the good news. Jesus came into the world. He died in our place, and he rose that we might have life and life more abundantly. Happy Easter.